The Bible says what? The Bible says what? The Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says what? Hey, 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 grace and peace. Welcome to the Bible Says What podcast. My name is Paul DeZay, and this is... My name is John Gibson. Uh, We're happy to be here, man, for another exciting episode of the Bible Says What. That's right. We're here to do, to talk about the Bible and stuff, right? Yeah, kind of different too. We just came out of this uh, recent uh, kind of, well, it was a brief recent, we're going to hit it back again, of genres of the scripture. If you didn't get a chance to listen to them, we encourage you to go back and listen, like, subscribe, share with all of the world, the wonderful enumerations uh, that we had therein. And last week was my favorite. What's that? Last week was my favorite. Oh, yeah. Apocalypse Now. That will be released uh, shortly. You can exit. It's not up yet, but um, you'll be able to listen to that soon. By the time you hear me saying this, you'll be able to go back and listen to it. But yeah, that was fun. Talked about the end of the world or not really, but what apocalypse means in the scripture. And appropriately, we're going to get into that today. Right. We are. Because that is a pretty pretty prevalent theme uh, within Advent. Right. That's right. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look at the first week of Advent. This is year C, um, and we're going to take a look at the four passages, and we're going to try to see how Jesus uh, can be found in all the passages, how we can view these passages through the Jesus lens, and then ask ourselves how do these passages help form us to be Christ-like people. So cool. We're just and before we go there, what the heck is year C? Maybe for our listeners out there that have oh, okay. no idea yeah. what we're let's let's just give it some preface here. What what is lectionary? Give me your your twenty second blurb on what is lectionary and what the heck ERC is for those yeah, that yeah. were scratching their heads just now. It is a three year cycle that covers the major passages of scripture uh, in the Bible. Year A, the first year of the cycle, focuses in on the Gospel of Mark. Year B, oh sorry. The Gospel of Matthew. Year B focuses in on the Gospel of Mark, and Year C focuses in on the Gospel of Luke, and then John is sprinkled all the way through all three years. So he's like that salt guy, the yeah. salt dude. What's that guy called? When he sprinkles salt on everything? I have no idea what you're talking That's about. The gospel. You haven't seen the salt guy that does this on steak? I forget was it Salt Bay or something. I don't know. He oh. sprinkles salt. That's what John is. It's sprinkled. <laughs> if you could see me right now, you would see That's me doing you? something okay. weird with right. my hand. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta so, get hip to the pop culture jive, man. Or maybe I'm just late to the game. So that is the lectionary, three year yeah, cycle good. of scriptures. And each week, each Sunday in the three years, there is a gospel passage, a New Testament passage, typically one of Paul's letters, uh, an old testament passage, and a psalm, typically a psalm. And it's and, the the goal of lectionary, from what I've come to understand and appreciate, is that it invites us to a very uh, holistic approach of reading the scriptures. So if you're reading, um, or if your church uh, takes part in the lectionary, you're going to find yourself encountering passages that maybe you wouldn't normally encounter. It gives us a very broad um, reading of the scriptures, so nothing is kind of left behind. And it's I also appreciate too how lectionary also connects us to the calendar cycle within the church, um, the our our main events, uh, so to speak, within the church and. It, Every year it connects us to Advent and Epiphany and uh, Pentecost and Lent and Easter, these major pillars of, of who we are as uh, Christian people, Jesus followers. It just gets us in this rhythm where we're connecting each year to what we believe. 
Yeah, it gives us the opportunity to follow Jesus afresh every year. So we begin at his birth, and we kind of journey through his life into his death, resurrection, and then Pentecost. And then the second half of the year is really about the life of the church and the kingdom. So it's really a great way to study scripture. It's a great way as a church to kind of journey together following Jesus. And so we're going to begin at the beginning of the year. So happy new year. Yes, it's starting. That's right. Advent um, is the beginning Jesus of the life. new year. The beginning. Right. Yeah. The beginning. I so, also am, I'm lobbying for a change to the title of the other time period in the lectionary. Maybe you can help me promote this. Instead of ordinary time, which I think is kind of boring, I think we should call it extraordinary time. Hmm, extraordinary like time. of Because ordinary time seems kind of boring to me. Well, I kind of, I, I get, I get why they call it that because most yeah. of our lives are kind of ordinary and boring. Yeah. So, but, but God uh, makes them extraordinary. That is true. Just jump on the bandwagon, baby. But I think I've, uh, I was at NT Wright or somebody said that they would like to change the name from ordinary time to kingdom time. Ooh, and I like that. Yeah, I could so. dig that. Okay, well. Sounds like Interate was once again ahead of my game. Well, you so, know, that's wonderful. So Advent is the season. Uh, Advent means arrival, um, coming. And so we start the year out talking about Jesus' first arrival and the hope for his second arrival. First Advent, second Advent, first coming, second coming. And so we kind of live in between, but we have hope for the second by looking at the first. Man, it, and, it does. It brings us into that that tension that is always present in our faith journey. What God has done and what God will do, and mm-hmm. and that space between, we we have to learn uh, to live in those rhythms of of arrival and hopeful expectation, uh, and challenging and wonderful at the same time. But to me, it really connects with all of those emotions of yearning and longing and. Uh, can't wait for something to happen. I'm a big Christmas nut and love love all that goes with uh, the time of Christmas and Advent. And man, I can just really connect with those themes of just longing for the day to come, you know, like seeing everything under the, I have those images of the Christmas tree and all the presents underneath and shaking them and wondering what's there and when it's going to happen with do visions. Do you still do that? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. I still get real. And I get excited about giving stuff to my kids too. Seeing that same emotion on their faces like, Oh, what's, I can't wait to open the gift. And for me, that's a beautiful metaphor of the kingdom, right? That deep expectation and, and it's connected to my experience of the past, right? My times of opening gifts before my times with Jesus before, but also the hope that it's coming again. So yes, Advent, we're making our way. Uh, so how are we going to do this, Paul? Lead us here into the beginning of the conversation. Um, yeah, so what we'll do is we'll start with the um, gospel passage, which uh, is Luke chapter 21, verses 25 to 36. And all we're going to do is just read through the passage and then talk about it a little bit uh, and then try to wrestle with uh, the viewing the text through the Jesus lens and uh, how the passage forms us as, as Christ-like people. But um, I'll go ahead and read this passage, and uh, I'm reading out of the Common English translation. So uh, here we go. Luke 21, 25 to 36. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars on the earth. There will be dismay among the nations in their confusion over the roaring of the sea and surging waves, the planets and other Heavenly bodies will be shaken, 
causing people to faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world. Then they'll see the human one coming on a cloud with power and great splendor. Now, when these things begin to happen, stand up straight and raise your heads because your redemption is near. Jesus then uh, told a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happen, you know that God's kingdom is near. I assure you that this generation won't pass away until everything has happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will certainly not pass away. Take care that your hearts aren't dulled by drinking parties, drunkenness, and anxieties of day-to-day life. Don't let that day fall upon you unexpectedly like a trap. It will come upon everyone who lives on the face of the whole earth. Stay alert at all times, praying that you are strong enough to escape everything that is about to happen and to stand before the human one. Boom. That's it. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. Very apocalyptic of you. That's right. um, Pastor Paul. Well, that's the reason we talk about (laughs) apocalyptic literature last week is because we were kind of prepping ourselves for this particular passage, which is apocalyptic genre, apocalyptic literature, uh, which uses all kinds of symbols and things and can be quite scary. Um, It is a lot of hyperbole, a lot of rhetoric, and it's trying to grab our attention or shock us. And it surely does, right? Did it shock you? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I I love, again, just fresh off of our conversation about apocalypse, I love the the new perspective or new eyes with which to see a lot of these signs and symbols. We got roaring seas and crashing waves. We got confusion and the people misunderstanding of what's happening on the earth. And uh, when when we see this through a Jesus lens uh, and, and kind of step back, we, I like to see how this connects also to the rest of apocalyptic literature and scripture that most of the time in in moments of apocalyptic genre there is this picture of some sort of chaos right and if you read in the scriptures a lot of times when you see images like roaring sea and crashing waves or references to ocean or deep deep oceans that is a representation of chaos and chaos shows up in, in many places in the Bible, in particular in, in Genesis uh, chapter 1. Uh, we have tohu and bohu, a formless and void. That's a picture of unformed uh, chaos of the world. And then we have this image of a, a man, or like you said in your translation, the human one coming down from heaven in a cloud with great power and glory. And I love how this, for me, this scripture brings to life once again how God is bringing order to chaos. That's the promise of what God will do through Christ is all of the the unformed realities of the world will be brought to bear with a new creation. Uh, And that's something that we can long for and hope for and what Jesus will bring us. But, and so much symbolism, right? We had the, then we had the parable of the fig tree and fruit and harvest and springtime, all beautiful symbols of recreation, right? Of life coming from dead things. Um, Pretty cool themes going throughout this passage of scripture. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think uh, he meant when he says, I assure you this generation won't pass away until everything has happened. I mean, it's a big question there, right? Is he talking, is he talking, Jesus talking about the end of the world, the second coming of Christ, or is he talking about 
you know, the destruction of Jerusalem. It's hard to say. Right. And again, that's the, that's the, the complexity of apocalyptic literature because it's both and, right? We, and we live in this in-between time as followers of Jesus during Advent, where it's also both and. Jesus has come. He is coming, right? We, when we encounter the Spirit of Christ in Advent, he, he is actively coming and pursuing us in life, bringing recreation to the uncreated parts of our life or the chaos of our life. He's bringing order. But it's also something that will culminate sometime in the future, right? So I guess I would say, yes, it means all, all of those things. <laughs> but will because for that generation, he, that was a true statement. Because for them, Jesus was present. He was in their midst. And when they were with Christ, with Jesus, they would experience this reality. He was this new spring, this the new fig trees pointing towards something that they could experience in the moment but also that they would experience uh, sometime in the future. So I think for me, that passage right there, and truly I tell you this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. This is a reality that um, the, the things of the world and the chaos of the world and the recreating power of God entering into that chaos is something that is happening and will come to completion one day. Um, and it's happening right now, 2,000 years later. We still experience this confusion, chaos, looking up the power of God still coming into the world through his spirit in all of us um, right now. And we look towards the future as well. That apocalyptic literature keeps us pointing in all kinds of directions, doesn't it? And it keeps, it us, remind, it it keeps us looking back even and being reminded of how all this happened before. Right. So what is Jesus calling us to do? If you take a look at verse 34, it says, take care that your hearts aren't dulled, right? Uh, from the anxieties of day-to-day life and the party uh, lifestyle. Uh, don't be surprised. Don't let the day, which is this day of the Lord, the coming of Christ, uh, fall upon you unexpectedly like a trap. Um, stay alert, stay alert, stay alert, stay awake. And yeah. so Jesus is, is almost asking us to say, to see that he is, uh, present and will come in the midst of the chaos. So stay alert, stay alert, see this happening. Don't fall asleep. Don't, um, get distracted. Don't let the stresses of the world distract you from what God's kingdom is doing in our midst. Uh, stay present. Yeah. I think, I think I, again, I too see this, it's like a state of mind that he's in, encouraging us to, because I think God knows the struggle we have as humans with this in between sort of way of life. Right. And in the, in translation that I've read, it says beyond guard, so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life. And that the day does not catch you unexpectedly. And I think for me, it's really when, when I'm expecting something, you know, if it's, if it's going to happen imminently, that's one of the things we love about Christmas. We know that in our modern world on December 25th, the gifts will be opened, right? So I, I can wait all as a kid. I remember all of the pent up emotions of, the stuff under the tree and the beautiful, but I knew that the, the realization of that expectation was December 25th. It was on a calendar. 
we even had countdowns, you know, where we pull things off. I know I got eight days until I'm getting to open that stuff and realize what I hope for. But a challenge for us as followers of Christ is that what we experience with Christ and the culmination of what we will experience is someday off in an unclarified future. I mean, Jesus even makes such strange claims that even he doesn't know when that culmination will happen. Only the Father knows. So it's. I think it's easy for us as humans to long and expect and hope for something, but we tend to, after we wait long enough, fall into things like drunkenness and worries of this life. We And drunkenness, I think, here is just a representation of someone who's in despair. You've just waited long enough, and, and maybe you can identify with that. I know I can in my life. You wait long enough, eventually you're going to lose hope and not want to wait anymore because you've come to believe this, a lot of times, falsehood that the thing I'm waiting for is just never going to happen and wasn't going to happen in the first place, which leads a person to despair and leads a person to, instead of waiting, maybe they're wasting away right? Yeah, because we've good, lost man. hope. and. I think that's what can keep us from being caught off guard because we've stopped expectantly hoping for something. So uh, we view this passage through the Jesus lens. We see Jesus right in the middle of it. So the gospel passages really aren't a lot of surprise there, right? We, we see Jesus right in the middle of this text. He's talking, he's referring to himself, and he's teaching us. But the question, the second question is, uh, how does this passage form us to be Christ-like people? How does this passage form us to look uh, and become like Jesus? That's a great question. I'd love to hear what you have to say, Pastor Paul. Well, I think <laughs> I, I think that it you know I think this passage points us um, to have hope in Christ, mm. hope in His second coming, hope in His present now. And uh, I, so I think it forms us to be people of hope. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, it's a reminder too to remember the places of chaos in my life that God has brought order to. You know, because for me, that reminds me of the gifts that He's given me. It reminds me of my encounters with the Spirit of Christ and how it has brought healing, has brought hope in the midst of what I've experienced in life. Which then gives me, it's like that that fuel for the fire, you know. If when I remember, I'm stirred to expect again, rather than waste away and lose sight of what God has in store for me. And I think that's really uh, an important invitation through that passage of scripture too. Absolutely. All right, let's let's do passage number two. John, would you be willing to read it first? Yeah, we, are we jumping to the epistle? Yeah, yes. the first Thessalonians. Good. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Thessalonian church, and it's um, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13. And it says this, um, and I think I'm in NIV, is what this uh, feasting on the word is. But, uh, it's uh, new reversed, new, new revised. revised. Standard, okay. Yeah. So here it is, starting in verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you in return? For all the joy we feel before our God because of you, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may seek you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. 
And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word you definitely, of the Lord. Yeah, that's right. This, you can tell that uh, Paul loves these people. Absolutely. He's, uh, he wants to be with them. He desires to go to them. And then he prays for them. He prays that God would increase their uh, love and uh, that God would uh, transform them. And so it's a beautiful passage of uh, um, the apostle to his people. Yeah, and this is Paul talking directly to them, right? From his heart to theirs and uh, kind of encouragement of what he hopes for them to be as the people of God. Um, Yeah, but, you know, how do we look through the Jesus lens with this? Because this seems like we're kind of peering in on just a personal, like, I love you from Paul to the people of Thessalonians. and. A lot of times the challenge with these epistles is rem- remembering that we are kind of reading a, a letter from two people and we're kind of on the outside looking in. But also the living word enters in and we are uh, invited to see how this might form and shape us too. Um, how might we go about doing that with this epistle, Paul? Yeah, I, I think looking at this passage from the Jesus lens, uh, through the Jesus lens, we see that um, Paul believes that God can transform these people, that Christ can transform these people. So Paul has faith in Christ and um, desires for these people to be transformed in such a way that they are blameless in the approaching day of the second coming of Christ, right? So it's this realization that God transforms in the present through Christ. And one day, Jesus will come back. And so the transformation is preparation for that culmination that we just talked about in Luke passage. Yeah, and it's important to remember, too, when we're reading this from a modern viewpoint, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right, with that when Paul was talking to the Thessalonians, many first century believers um, believed that Jesus's return was imminent. They would yeah. take uh, things like we just read in the gospel that Jesus says, "You, this generation will not pass away until you see all of these things come to pass. There was a, a hard line belief within the first century church that they would see Jesus return before they died. So this uh, encouragement from the Apostle Paul is one for them that meant, hey, be ready, be blameless, because you don't got much time. <laughs> like this was an eminent expectation uh, for the for Paul and the first century church. And we we see Paul through his writings kind of make this shift as he comes to the realization that maybe this eminent uh, return of Christ is not as eminent as he thought it would be. And even begin, and that's a conversation for another day, but we even see the Apostle Paul kind of shift and and encounter this reality of, of the apocalyptic literature that Christ is coming. He hoped for him to come before Paul passed and the church, you know, these people um, passed away, but then dealing with the reality again of how long would they wait and what does it mean to wait even beyond your life? The future generations would come to live as expectant followers of Jesus too. So we read this 2,000 years later and Paul's encouragement hits us in a very different place, right? Because for I would 
venture to say that most of us don't think we might say we think Jesus is coming back, you know, soon or, you know, how many of us really actually expectantly hope for that or believe it will happen in our lifetime? It's a different reality for us 2000 years later, you know, um, my kids say all the time, I, I want Jesus to come, but I want to live my life too. <laughs> you know? I think that's a right. real human response. I, you know, I don't want, want it to end because they've enjoyed life so far, but it's just an interesting reality going on there. And I think it's important for us to remember too, that Paul was talking to a group of believers that believed he was coming back before they died. So we have to be careful though, in our modern world, not to, um, uh, become lazy and complacent on our faith because we don't believe Christ is coming back. There is a sense of urgency in both the Luke passage and the first Thessalonians passage, uh, to be, to stay alert, to be ready, to be blameless. So even though 2000 years has transpired, I think the text still communicates a sense of urgency. Like it's important to be ready. Yeah. Cause he could come back like tomorrow. He might. And, he, he could uh, come back here in five minutes. Like, but then that's the interesting thing. I, I love that you brought that up, Paul, because it's it is so easy for us to kind of let let that expectancy fade into kind of a traditional rhythm where we just encounter Advent. But are we really expectant? What does it what does it mean for us to really expect and be ready for the coming of Christ? Well, and to be blameless as blameless is a part of that that readiness right? Is to make sure that I'm living in the ways of Christ. Um, but it's, it's yeah. an interesting thing to lean into. Well, isn't that expectedness hope? Isn't that what yeah. hope is? To be expected of something. So to be hopeful isn't to be um, passive. It's an act of hope that affects our day-to-day life. And I think this passage forms us to be hopeful people, but also to be people of active love, it says to be to increase uh, and enrich your love for each other and for everyone in the same way as we also love you. So it's the love for one another, the church, but it's also for everyone outside the church. And so we are to be formed into a people that love our neighbor, love the orphan, the widow, the the marginalized, uh, to increase in love, and that's a present reality. It's not yeah. just a future thing. It's this passage is forming us to be more loving now. Right. And it, this is really attached to, and I think we talked about this a little bit in the apocalyptic um, uh, episode, but our hope is directly connected to our view of the expectant future. Does that make sure. sense? Yeah. So I think a lot of times in our modern world, our expectant future that we believe God will bring involves a lot less things to hope for and a lot more things to like duck and cover for right mm-hmm. fire and burning and getting rid of all people we hate and all those kind of things this this is an image and the early first century church believed in this um, reality of the kingdom of God that the that physically God would be coming from heaven bringing the realities of the kingdom of the earth or kingdom of heaven to the kingdoms of the earth so there was a, a recreation happening in the world where all could come and worship at the feet of God Paul was a, a was that was his central focus, right? That the gospel had come for all people, Gentiles and Jews and rich and poor. There was this um, mountains being made low and valleys being brought. There was this leveling of creation, but 
for them, it was a, a belief that God would set that up in their world, that when Jesus returned, he would make all things right. And uh, again, I, th- I think our, our hope is directly connected to the vision we have of that, exp- that future that we hope for. And so again, that's another conversation for another day, but, but it is important for us to remember that when the Apostle Paul admonishes them to love one another as Christ loved, because that was central to what they believed about the culmination of what Jesus would set up when he returned, right? It was a, yeah, a sure. world of love of equal, where we treated one another with equity and we provided for one another. It was a picture of, of the first century church uh, when in Acts, right? When the, the church exploded and this new community formed, it was meant to show us a picture of what Paul is pleading with them to continue love of one another, right? It's great. It's great. Good stuff, man. All right. Mm. Uh, third passage is Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 to 16. So we're in the Old Testament here. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. So every time that I read Jeremiah, I uh, try to imagine Jeremiah speaking with tears in his eyes, right? He's crying mm. as he says this because Jeremiah was uh, around uh, <clears throat> Israel in their time uh, before, during, and in the midst of the Babylonian exile. So Jeremiah preached, and uh, before they went into exile, there's this threat of, hey, things are going to go down. He preached as it was happening, as uh, they were being conquered, and as people were being carried away, uh, he was still preaching. And Mm -hmm. so he's crying all the way through. So here, here is a passage that gives some good news in the midst of the bad news. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill my gracious promise with the people of Israel and Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will raise up a righteous branch from David's line who will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this what is what he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And what a what a message of hope for a people in hopelessness. Right? This is towards the end of Jeremiah. So this was written, as uh, Pastor Paul had mentioned, in the context of exile. So that they had been taken from their um, homes and were now living in the— like their face-to-face reality was, was bringing all the promises of God into question, right? And yeah. And— and here's Jeremiah giving, speaking to a people who ha- are in danger of losing all hope, and he gives them this word. What a what a beautiful, uh, as he's weeping. I love that you mentioned that, Paul. I'd never actually heard that before. This really gives emotional context to how Jim, Jeremiah is speaking to his people in this passage. Yeah, I think the promise that there would be a coming Messiah from David's kingdom. It's at the heart of this passage, which points to Christ, right? Christ is the Messiah. Uh, the word Messiah means anointed one or king. And so the hope is that uh, there would be a king that would come that would restore the kingdom of David, right? And so that's what that, I will raise up a righteous branch from David's line who will do what is just and right in the land. Uh, and understanding that the kings of Israel a northern and southern kingdom were not just and were not righteous. And that's the reason they found themselves in exile, is that 
it was corrupt, right? And so there is hope for righteousness. There is hope for justice that God would send somebody. Uh, and he will be called the Lord is our righteousness. That's kind of a, a name for this coming Messiah. That's really cool. I love that reference too to the branch. Um, and again, that, that has so much deep connection to other uh, metaphors within the scripture, right? That he's the vine, uh, he is the the root, he's he's the heart of who we are as the people of Christ. And um, I think it's pretty neat um, uh, how that metaphor is kind of nestled into the scripture too and comes to life in other parts of, of the scripture. Uh, pretty cool how God uses those throughout the scriptures to connect us with pictures of Jesus, right? Absolutely. So what's, uh, how does this passage form us to be uh, Christ-like people? What do you think? Well, I think I can connect deeply with the people of Israel, you know, not that I've ever been in exile (laughs) as, you know, as they have, but, but I've sure found myself in places where um, I've chosen wrong things and lived in the midst of my own consequences and uh, felt out of touch from God and wondered, you know, if if I was ever going to live in wholeness again. Uh, I can identify with that. You know, this is what the people of Israel were feeling. And to me, this is this just brings us to grace. You know, this this image that even though, even in spite of all of the corruption and injustice, uh, living other than God had invited them to live as the people of God, God still responds with this message of, I will be, even though you weren't faithful, I will be faithful to you. And man, that, that gives me hope. It, it, what it, for me, what it does is it changes my perspective, right? This, again, this is apocalyptic. It points us to a future that we haven't experienced, but is promised. It makes me long for that future rather than fear it. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's probably true for the people of Israel. Rather than fearing that exile would lead to their ultimate destruction, God is stepping and saying, no, exile will will culminate in restoration. It will actually, the thing that was intended for evil will be intended and used for your good. That's good. And that is a hopeful thing that comes out of a passage like this. That's right, man. So we, when we read in the Old Testament, we get to read backwards so we know that Christ mm. came, and so we read backwards, and when we read passages uh, like this, we say, well, Jesus was the one who came. Uh, and so when he says that the Messiah would would do what is just and right in the land, we have examples of what that looks like, right? So we yeah. have all of Jesus' three years of living, teaching, and demonstrating what justice and righteousness is. And so uh, we can be shaped and formed in justice and righteousness based on reading the text backwards, knowing that that's what is pointing forward to. Man, that is such a cool idea, Paul. So you're telling us today that we we have permission to take an Old Testament passage like this and and see Jesus in it, right? We yes. don't have to just read it only for itself. That's what you mean by reading backwards. And we have this great opportunity to to know the end of that story, mm-hmm. right? And it should inform how we understand and read scriptures like this, right? Yep, We've absolutely. talked about that a lot on the podcast, but um, it's pretty a neat idea. I like that about reading backwards. 
All right, let's do the last passage, Mr. Gibson. Psalm 25, verses 1 through 10. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Do not let those who wait for you but be put to shame. Let them be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truths and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his decrees. That's good stuff, man. It's good mm. stuff. So it seems like this, this is... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'd say this is a prayer, right? It's a yeah. prayer for help. It's a prayer... Uh, please don't let me be put to shame. Don't let my enemies rejoice over me. He's, he's hoping he's praying for help. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is this seems like we're, we have an intimate kind of picture of someone who's living out what we've talked about in these other passages, but we're seeing it like we're seeing a view into their heart and into their mind. Someone who's longing to be expectant but is feeling the tension of life and how it keeps us sometimes from being expectant. And we're almost seeing this inner struggle of asking for God to help them, you know, to, to live a life of expectancy and hope. Um, Yeah. 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 I, I see that. I see that. And I also see that the psalmist is asking for guidance uh, not just in the big events, but the day-to-day stuff. Make your ways yeah. known to me. Teach me your past. Lead me in your truth. Teach it to me. And again, when you see a lot of these uh, instructions about the Word and teaching, we're reminded of Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is the teacher, right? He is the rabbi. He's our rabbi, right? And he is the Word. He is the truth. And so we read these passages kind of through the Jesus lens by seeing things that remind us of Christ. And it connects me too to what that from that the apostle Paul in Thessalonians told them how do they how do they wait correctly? Well, they're um what does it say they're upright and righteous and they're following well I forget the language the apostle Paul used, but this idea that they're being uh living the way of righteousness, right? Yes. That's what it means to wait and expectantly hope. It's not something we sit here and say, I hope, I hope, I hope. The The reality of that expectant living is to live the ways of Christ, right? To live the ways of the Word. And this psalm connects us to that reality, like uh, Pastor Paul was talking about there. He's so it's kind of like... A, go ahead, yeah. No, I'm just saying it's like an active waiting, right? So you're you're waiting for the rescue, yeah, we're doing something though, right? We're doing something. We're not we're not just sitting around on our 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 hands. We're we're uh we're we're following in the ways of the Lord, right? The Lord being Jesus. Uh yeah. we're following day by day by day as we wait for the rescue. Yeah. I have that view of when, when I was a kid, I grabbed the presents and I'd shake them. 
you know, try to learn everything about what was in that gift. <laughs> it's weight. Was it big? Was it small? Were my pulling parents pulling, pulling a fast one and wrapping something really teeny in lots of little boxes? You know, I sniffed it. Was it something like cologne or so? I'm learning. I'm exp- that gives me the image of waiting expectantly. I'm doing everything I can to learn what I'm hoping for, uh, for that coming day. Um, Versus this idea of, I like to call it the difference between waiting and wasting. You know, am I wasting away? Am I, mm-hmm. am I sitting back on my laurels? Am I just not caring what will happen when, you know, it's, it's almost like sitting on your heels or being up on your toes. Well, that's a common basketball kind of way of describing active defense. You know, if you're back on your heels, something go around you because you're not ready. If you're up on your toes, your weight's forward, you're, mo- you're leaning forward. It's like that spiritual posture of... I'm moving towards the expectant future rather than waiting for the future to come to me. And that's a, that's a huge, uh, hugely, is that, can I say that hugely powerful image, right? Yeah, are for we sure. waiting for the expected return or are we moving towards the expected return of Christ? It's a huge difference. A couple words pop out to me here. Uh, the word hope, the word love mm. and the word justice. We've seen those before, haven't we? Yeah, we sure have, haven't we? Well, hope, we don't know if we've seen the word hope, but we surely have seen the word love and the word justice. I think hope hope is is living underneath all of these passages. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's just that, the heart of it, you know? Absolutely. And and in the Advent season, right, we oftentimes encounter these four words, hope, joy, peace, and love. You know, and I like to think this first week is painting for us the picture of what we hope for. It's putting at Living Hope, we're doing our Advent series called Incarnate, putting flesh on hope, joy, peace, and love. And for me, this first week, just it, it shows us Christ and shows us a picture of what we are hoping for and what it looks like to lean in towards that hope. And he's hope and flesh, right? He shows us the picture of what it looks like to live in what is promised for us to live in mm. joy and to live in love and peace and all of those kind of things. Yeah. 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 So I, I say my, my intersection between these four passages is that word hope. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's an active hope. It's an expectant hope. It's a hope that um, leads us to love now, mm. uh, not just tomorrow. Uh, I love leads that. Us to, yeah. Leads <laughs> us to be people of justice now. Uh, knowing that God's kingdom, when it comes in its completeness, is a kingdom of justice where there'll be no more pain and no more death and no more tears, right? And so we're invited to live in that love now and in that justice now, um, hoping for that big return of Christ. And that and this brings us into this the beautiful mystery of our faith, right? Because Paul, as we as we actively wait. And we hope for the coming kingdom by by loving and doing doing love now, doing justice now, all those things that you're talking about. As we actively participate, we are, I believe, ushering in. So we're we're moving towards the culmination of Christ returning. And I believe in a very active way, we are ushering in the coming kingdom even uh, sooner than we maybe hoped. For, yeah, right. We're hastening the day. We're hastening the day. Yeah, we're moving towards the return of Christ by living out the realities of Christ. And isn't that the beautiful mystery of our faith? Is the more I love, the more I do justice now, 
the the more the world becomes the world it was meant to be all along. Yeah, because we are participating, and that yep. is a cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. Hope. This is big. Hope, love, justice. There you go. It's just big good, man. Yeah. Yeah. So I, my, our hope, as we've read these passages, is that you have been able to see how uh, you can look at the passage passages through the lens of Christ. You know, when you're in the Old Testament, you you read backwards, right? Uh, you're in the New Testament, you're in the Gospels, you, you're in the present with Christ. And uh, when you're reading the letters, it's almost you're reading forward. You're moving from the Gospel to the the letters. And then we move forward to our present day. Uh, and so I hope that this has been helpful. This has been helpful for me, John. Yeah, it's been wonderful. I, I love how apocalypse, the genre of apocalyptic literature showed itself for us in a very positive and encouraging kind of way. It reframes our view of that expectant future, which is apocalyptic literature, right? It's speaking of the end of what is to come, and it shows up in this first Advent week and uh, so helpful to have a proper understanding of that genre uh, rather than a misunderstanding that maybe changes or colors um, these passages in a way that aren't uh, healthy for us in our Bible reading. So we hope that the genre conversations we've been having uh, will help you in your own reading of Scripture as well. So There you go. Well, so what are we going to do next week? I think we're we're going to journey through Advent still, right? Yep, we're going to do yeah, week, uh, week two of Advent. Yeah. I was just working on week two here this afternoon. So, so you'll I'm be an expert. About it. Yeah, peace, I believe, is the heartbeat of that one. Shalom. I love shalom. Pa- Pastor Paul put me on to the depths of shalom years and years ago and has become my obsession. And uh, so I, I'm looking forward to that conversation next time on The Bible Says What. And this has been great. Yeah, it has been. Thanks so much. all this good stuff. Thanks so much for uh, listening to us. If you uh, uh, like what you hear, would you subscribe? Would you give us a five-star review on iTunes? Uh, we, uh, we appreciate your, your, uh, your time listening to us. This has been great, man. Look forward to next time. Yep, looking forward to it. Grace and peace, all. The Bible says what? The Bible says what? The Bible says what? What does this Bible say? What? Say what? Say what? What does the Bible say? The Bible says what?